Hello, Marvelites. Welcome to Marvel's The Pullist for new comics out June 27th, 2018. I'm Ryan Pedagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Tucker Marcus. Yeah. And we're here to talk about all the new Marvel comics on stands this week. We're going to talk about all those single issues, those tasty, tasty, delicious, bite-sized morsels of comic book goodness. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to talk about some collections and digital issues. And it's going to be grand, Tucker. It's going to be so grand. We're, I feel like we're spacefaring this week. Yeah. I feel like there's a lot of stuff going up and going on in the stores. I think instead of going to the stars, we're going to start out right here in New York City. Yeah, good old Big, big Apple. Yeah, the city that <laughs> never goes to bed. The big kahuna. So jumping right into Amazing Spider-Man colon Wakanda Forever number one. This one is written by Nettie Okorafor with art by Alberto Albuquerque, colors by Eric Arseniega, and letters by Joe Sabino. Oh my goodness, right away. Yeah, right starting up. Hot. This is my pick of the week. I loved it so much. I felt like I was trying to think of, of just the way to sum it up, and I feel like with this issue and then moving forward, you know, as we see the Dora in uh, Nettie's series here, kind of just jumping around, mixing it up with different characters. The next one, they're going to see Storm and X-Men and things like that. So it's so exciting. But I think why this is so good and it works so perfectly because it, they, it just fits well because they don't fit in at all. You know, they're, they're so different. They have such a distinct way of speaking, such a distinct way of doing things. They're so self-sufficient and they don't really need anyone's help. But because the, like those elements clash with other heroes and to hilarious effect in this issue, it just works so, so nicely. And I thought it was so fun. Yeah. Well, the Dora Milaje coming to America are essentially like an advanced civilization going to a third world country. Yeah, right. It yeah. Is, they are so far beyond... Americans in culture, in technology, in understanding, in everything that they're just sort of like, cool, let's 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 slum it a little bit. Let's yeah, go right. hang out because there's a part where they go and they like tourist around, yeah. which is so fun. Yeah. Although they go to the Statue of Liberty. I don't think you can get on Ellis Island with they have their like ceremony, <laughs> like their their war spears because yeah. they're always working. So they're right. oh, they, those spears are like vibranium and there's. They need them. I get that. But I can't imagine a security guard is like, yep, just come on through, Mills. Yeah. They'll just go yeah. on. But at the end, but at the same time, it's like security guard, come on, pal, what are you going to do? What, do you, what yeah. are, <laughs> literally, what are you going to do? Yeah. It's great. Yeah. Uh, but this is Okoye, Ayo, and Anika in New York City on a mission. And of course, the tourist thing. It is a delight. And it's just Wakandans dunking on Americans. Yeah. So it's just, yeah. And it has an appearance by Hydro Man, whom I love because he's such a. He's kind of pathetic. I mean, he's <laughs> he's Sandman, but for water. Right. You know, he like just Sandman tr he is He tries cool. so hard. So hard. And here, he's got this new hipster look. He's like trying something new. He's trying to up his image and he looks good, but he's still a dude made of water. Right. Yeah. And that doesn't do him much good. Great. But we are not leaving our Wakandan vibes because the next book is Black Panther number two. This is, oh man, this was nearly one of my picks. It is a sci-fi political thriller, action-packed story of rebellion and freedom and family and identity. And it is dope as heck. It's written by Tanahasi Coates, art by Daniel Acuna, and letters by Joe Sabino. I want a video game of this series. Yes. Can you imagine? I was yeah. thinking about that. Like you get stealthy combat of T'Challa and the rebels like making moves, taking over, you know, empirical outposts and doing all this stuff, especially T'Challa like... You know, sneaking around. I play a lot of video games where you play stealth. That would be super cool. Then you could have cool squad stuff. You know, you're, you're like, you're leading a team uh, going through. It's like a shooter led by M'Baku or Niami. That would be dope. And then you have the dogfighting section of yeah. the game. There was the Star Wars game that came out last year, Battlefront, Battlefront 2. Yeah, Battlefront 2. And that had some really great, you know, TIE Fighter, X-Wing, blast em ups do that with the action here because that's part of what we see in this issue is T'Challa piloting this rebel, you know, ship. And he's just, I use, I'm going to use that phrase again. He's dunking on it. He's just <laughs> so good. He's smarter, better, faster, more skilled than all these Imperials. And it just doesn't, it doesn't even matter. 
Plus, you got all the world building that Tanahasi is doing around this empire and the designs that Daniel Acuna has put forth with the different alien races, the technology, their cities. It's really, really cool. We've got different planets, different vibes throughout. Plus, we get to sort of see the beginnings of what are they going after? What is going to turn the tide of this rebellion and, and change the fate of the empire? Yeah. I love it. This is such a different book. And it is, as you were talking about earlier— our cosmic vibes yeah, right there. Yeah, totally. Another really, really great story that's just getting started. This is another number two. This is Deadpool Assassin, which is written by Colin Bunn with pencils by Mark Bagley, inks by John Dell, colors by Edgar Delgado, and letters by Joe Sabino. There's a kind of there's a theme that I found kind of popped up across I'm thinking off the top of my head, at least three books this week, which was interesting. And it felt like just multiple characters, multiple agents in each story, kind of each going after each other in different ways. Like it's not just the good guys after the bad guy, or it's not just the bad guys after the good guy. It's like th- there are these multiple factions, multiple characters, and they're all kind of chasing each other. And they're all they all have multiple inspirations, and they're kind of looking to do different things while staving off other things. Uh, and I found that first and foremost in Deadpool Assassin number two because. Essentially, Deadpool is on a chase here. He's chasing someone, and then multiple other someones are chasing Deadpool. And it kind of, it winds up working out in a really, really interesting way, in a way that is very much, you know, gets to the heart of the title of this series, which is the assassin that is Deadpool and kind of the not nice guy that he is, which I love. I love embracing that concept so well. It's something that Colin himself knows perfectly, writer of Deadpool kills the Marvel Universe and Deadpool kills the Marvel Universe again. It, you know, it continues to carve out a very interesting spot for the character. The a character that in uh, the main Deadpool series by Scotty Young is embracing his, you know, his darker shades of gray. The other thing I love, I love Mark Bagley's art in here. Obviously, uh, he's one of the greats. And I thought um, his pencils and the colors by Edgar Delgado, the inks by John Dell, I thought it added up to a really great kind of gothic Louisiana feel, which felt really cool. It's, it's, a, it's a vibe that I'm a huge fan of and uh, found that throughout this book. So, so, so good. Um, and it just added to the atmosphere. Dude, this was one of the most gruesome books yeah. we've had in a while. Yeah. So gory. There's a, there's a scene where uh, uh, one dude gets the top of his head cut off, and then right after that, another dude is held face down on the street while on a moving vehicle, right. just basically just pulling his face off. <laughs> it's crazy. There's four things I really dig about this book. One, no gambit. <laughs> they're, they're in no, NOLA, no gambit. Yeah. So that's one thing I loved. Two, we've got Bagley's art. Always tremendous. He's got the the, the crowd and the action scenes, but hits emotion and, and the humor and that grossness so well. He's like traditional comic book artist, but does it so it's like refined to the nth degree. Three, Wade's code of, of killing people who deserve it or who try and kill him. Again, like you were saying, I, I love that. And then four, the assassins. Cullen pulls in some crazy obscure characters in here. Mm-hmm. Even a few I did not know, but one in particular I love, Razor Fist, who there's no fists. He just has long blades. Right. And I've, I've always had many questions. How does he do anything with <laughs> blades for hands? Right. You know, like... I get it. You know, you, there's ways you could get around, but blades for hands, that they like puncture everything. Right. They cut everything. <laughs> that seems poorly thought out on his part. He's a, he's a cousin of Edward Scissorhands. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, on to our next book, which is Hunt for Wolverine Mystery and Madripoor, number two. The first couple pages in this, I really, really love because it hits on the relationship between Kitty and Logan and how she sees him. And she says, quote, strong, but not cruel. He'd risk his life, his soul, for the people he cared about. And then it flashes back to the terrific Kitty Pride and Wolverine series. Ben and I talked about that series on This Week in Marvel, episode number 271, if you want to go deeper on the references in this particular issue uh, right at the beginning there. But it is written by Jim Zub, art by Tony Silas, colors by Felipe Sobrero, and letters by Joe Sabino. We're starting to get a sense of the bigger picture here. If you're reading all the Hunt for Wolverine stories, you may start to notice something called Soteria. What is that? Mm. Hmm. Mm. I will say nothing more. Uh, But there's lots of wild stuff going on in this issue. But it is Madripoor, so it's all normal, except for that final friggin' page. What 
is happening. We spoke at the top of the episode about the cosmic action going on this week, and I felt like this book, uh, Infinity Countdown, Dark Hawk number three, embraced that in such an old school Marvel Comics way. And I really, really loved it. This issue is written by Chris Sims and Chad Bowers with art by Gang Hyuk Lim and letters by Travis Lanham. There are three elements that stood out to me here as like, this is getting to the heart of Marvel Cosmic. And that's the Stones, of course. That's what this is all about. What's your favorite Stones album? Oh, uh, 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 Exile on uh, Main Street. Great. That's a real one, right? I, I literally have, like, I know them tangentially a little bit. I you, th- you threw me a big alley, and I believe I kind of rattled it home. I'm not 100% sure. Anyway, the Infinity Stones, of course, in this issue, we also have the Kree, we have the Raptors, but we also have the Elders of the Universe, which is so cool. We you know get... I love me some Elders. Oh, it's awesome. It's got the two greatest in there as well, the Runner and the Gardener, because <laughs> you got one dude who just runs, and one dude who just gardens. Come on, you can't beat it. You can't Love beat it. Love them so much. He has much. a beautiful cosmic trowel. <laughs> he does. He just goes around like, oh, come on, little baby, I'm going to make you a nice, nice big plant. Cosmic mulch. Yeah. Uh, I want to play the gardener if there's ever a gardener <laughs> role in a movie. Screw uh, the collector. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, it's all about the gardener, baby. Uh, but those things included, this at this Dark Hawk, a little limited series that's going on within the larger Infinity Countdown storyline is really in the best way, like one of the weirdest, coolest, most different books that I've read, uh, certainly this week, because it has that great, you know, the the roots of, of like the, the strange, weird, out there 90s Dark Hawk. And then it's tied into all of these super far out there, great universe wide universe spanning kind of also spanning the mind and testing the limits of dark hawk himself uh in really really interesting ways but it all adds up to become a really cool intricate little puzzle going on within the bigger intricate puzzle of infinity countdown and you know out of nowhere like this i've never read a dark hawk story before dark hawk i believe it was 51. 51, yeah. The one shot that came out in the fall? In this Time fall? doesn't make sense to me anymore. <laughs> in the I winter, I think. I sometime. don't know when anything um, I believe sometime in the winter, and uh, uh, which had the both of these same same writers on there. And I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, it feels so, so different, and it's great. It's got a big robot, which I love. Love the uh, robots. It's very anime manga feel, mm-hmm. which is cool. Uh, next book is one for the kitties. It is Marvel Superheroes Adventures Webs and Arrows and Ants. Oh, my. Mm. And it is written by Mr. Jim McCann, art by Dario Brizuela, and colors by Chris Sotomayor with letters by Joe Caramagna. This one is just adorable. It's a story about making friends and trusting your partners and, you know, just enjoying things that go boom. <laughs> should be everything. If you want a book for a kid, this is a great pick. I know we get that question a heck of a lot. I get it on, on social media mm-hmm. all the time. People want to know, hey, my six-year-old wants to get into comics. This series right now, this Marvel Superhero Ventures series is really terrific. I had uh, some family visiting in Shangri-La, a.k.a. New Jersey, this weekend from the Midwest of the United States. And uh, there are two seven-year-olds and a six-year-old. And I just wish I had these books. I left them in the office, but I wish so bad that I brought them home with me. Um, Because, yeah, like you said, they're so perfect. Um, Okay, let me see how I can do this. I said seven and six. Seven minus six equals one. One times one equals two. That's right. We're talking Marvel no, two not, and one. That's not yeah, how math no, works, yeah, That's not how math works, <laughs> One times one equals two. That's a fact. Don't don't question it. Just go with me. Marvel two and one, uh, The Thing and The Human Torch. This is issue number seven, and it's written by Chip Zdarsky with art by Ramon K. Perez. Colors by Federico Blee and Letters by Joe Caramagna. We, last week, I think we read the annual uh, of Marvel 2 and 1, which I enjoyed immensely. This follows up immediately after that. This is the the annual, you know, is placed chronologically and it, and it works so perfectly. Essentially, what's going down is 
Johnny and Ben are just flung out into the universe. They're continuing their not just spacefaring adventures, but their reality faring adventures, which has been so much fun. I could just watch these two characters go out visiting different universes forever. I, I could I could read just endless numbers of issues about that because I've been loving so much of what Chip does. And it's so interesting because you know, these two characters, of course, come from the first family. They are part of a larger whole that isn't around right now, but they just work so perfectly as a twosome and it never disappoints. They have such a specific dynamic and I love also the inclusion of the infamous Iron Man, Victor Von Doom in here as well. He just adds that little bit of that little bit of spice, that little something extra. Joie de vie. That's right. He loves life. Oh, Vicky. And uh, it's so cool because and it makes I mean, it makes perfect sense because if you just have Ben and Johnny, they like each other. They want the best for each other. So if you just put them out there, that could be a cool team up. But when you add this third element that is just, you know, causing tension, he's saying things that both these characters don't like. He's getting them into situations they don't want to be in. It adds so much more. And this is so cool. Victor Von Doom is that friend that like always tells you the truth. Yep. especially when you don't want to hear it yep. and it's just like insufferable, but you kind of like, oh, I got to hang out with him. He's the one with the car <laughs> or, you know, yeah, he always buys us good snacks and, and he's kind of okay sometimes. Yeah. You're so right. Yeah. He's, he is relentlessly, brutally uh, truthful. He at least speaks his truth, you know, especially I think, you know, when Ben doesn't want to hear it, but in this story, they run into an alternate universe Stephen Strange, Doctor Strange. They run into an alternate universe like Spidey Cap Craven guy, which is so cool. Uh, he's got this great mixture of their uh, uniforms. He's just like this. I don't even know if he could really be a combination of those three because I feel like that's a little too nice for what the, that amalgamation would be. This guy is not nice. And that's a really cool element at play here. They essentially get uh, Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones <laughs> where they're put into the Neomoidian, you know, gladiatorial ring and have to go up against some monsters. It's so cool. There is one of my favorite lines of the week is in this issue where... Ben, you know, we get this reveal where they're up against these crazy monsters that are referred to as the Terrific Three. And I love how Chip plays up against the the, the tropes and the expectations. Ben just says, I ain't a fan of this development, <laughs> uh, which is so perfect and uh, is, you know, just the classic fun that he has developed in this series as a whole. On to Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur number 32, written by Brandon Montclair, art by Natasha Bustos, colors by Tamara Bonvalain, and letters by Travis Lanham. It is almost time, Tucker, very Ooh. soon, for the greatest cover in the history of Marvel Comics, oh. but not yet. Not yet. We have one more month to go. So hold down. We, we do get a little peek of it. We get a little peek of on it. The back, on the back of this This issue. is part one of Save Our School and the first appearance of Princess Fisk, the adopted daughter of the Kingpin. Let me tell you something. Mm. adopting mm -hmm. not a quick process not an easy process so uh must be nice to be the mayor yeah. of new york city <laughs> that's all i want to say about that one also there's a lot of talk about new york city schools and education and that is a huge thing in manhattan that like i watch local news more hours than i probably watch anything else <laughs> and man education discussion is real Mm -hmm. And that's a lot of what's in this book. Big shout outs to writer Brandon Montclair for dropping references to Welcome Back Cotter and Jack Kirby's real name. It's, uh, yeah, they're both dropped in here in really neat little ways. I love that. There's, there's this cool story about Lunella struggling with being stuck in school with just like things that she doesn't need to know because she's so far advanced from it. She's trying to like deal with it. And because she's so far advanced, she doesn't understand the necessity of socializing, of growing up in this way. It's, it's, it's a trouble for her, but it's, you know, like if you look at it from a different set of eyes, you know she needs to be there in some way, shape or form. And then, you know, she's switching places with Devil Dinosaur and that's freaking her out too. And it's, it's all a big bummer. You got to feel for Lanella. Uh, there's also just that, that story of she, she's so smart. And she can go into space, but still, she has major problems like all kids, and I love that. I feel like the cover for this issue, and I believe for 33 and 34 as well, 
they're really great coverage because they're like mixed media where it's it's drawn on a picture of like mm-hmm. that was actually taken of a, a real location. I think that's the perfect metaphor for Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. And here's why. Because I feel like unlike maybe any other book, Brennan Montclair and company, the the like great repertory squad that that shows up for uh, Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur and has since the beginning. Yeah, it's a fantastic story. Yes, it is fantastic in the grand sense, in the hyper superhero sense, and it's cosmic and Lunella is this incredible genius. But at the same time, it keeps it grounded in such real ways. And you can really feel the heart of that in every single issue. There's always a moment that makes you think about your life. Like you said, it's talking about, the, you know, New York City public schools. It's talking about Lunella as this super smart kid who has a harder time just being, you know, a kid and socializing and having friends and things like that. It always touches on the reality of the situation while maintaining this super fun giant dinosaur story. So there you go. The reality, always in the context, always in the background, with the fantastic in the foreground giving you that lovely, wonderful story that we all love. How's that for some the uh, uh, thesis? Thank you. You almost landed <laughs> right at the end there. So close. That was, great. You know, was, uh, that was that was good. I agree. Yeah, yeah, and. Okay, we're going from that to a complete, wild, insane, unlike anything you'll read, journey inside the mind in Moon Knight number 196, which is written by Max Bemis with art by Paul Davidson, colors by Matt Lopez, and letters by Corey Petit. Like I said, this whole issue takes place in the collective unconscious of Mark Spector slash Stephen Grant slash Jake Lockley slash Moon Knight. And, you know, aside from literally one or two pages, but it but is all those unconsciousnesses mm-hmm. combined with the collectives. Right. Unconscious subconsciousness. Right. Like, so you have another like, I don't remember what the number was, like 80 people. Right. All there are, together. there are a couple big pages where you see just as many of them, you know, mushed in there as possible. And it works. It works so, so well. I love Becky Cloonan's cover for this as well. That's maybe my cover of the week. I love her art. It features Moon Knight just existing on this brain plane, uh, which is so cool. This issue does something super unique and something super difficult that I feel like it is, you know, it's just really tough to pull off in any story, in any medium, which is to combine something that's both disturbing and seriously funny. Those are like feel like polar opposite reactions and emotions, mm. but this issue does it. And this series as a whole has been doing it. Max Bemis has really brought it with this and in this issue in particular Paul Davidson is just I mean he's doing backflips on these pages it is crazy crazy stuff so you've got to open a double page splash which is one of my favorite splashes of the week we see this army of moon knights these different versions of moon knight who have come to come to being through this experience in the collective and you've got like alien ones and there's a dude with butterfly wings and robot one and (laughs) half naked dude one and it's awesome yeah as as with any great moon knight story it both tells the story that's going on that that moon knight himself is going through but it also tells the story that's going on within his mind and you know it really hits the nail on its head so so perfectly in this issue. Yeah, I really, really hope we see more of not just the collective, which sort of left open-ended, but also Paul Davidson art mm-hmm. there at Marvel. It's been too long. These two issues are just, there's a good start, but I need more. Yeah. I need more. Hook it into my veins. Before we go on to our next book, I just want to give a shout out to our advertiser for this week, which is Sideshow Collectibles and their awesome Avengers products. Uh, I was looking at some of the images of these uh, these like uh, Avengers Assemble statues. Super cool. Um, they've got a ton of them, too. They've got a bunch in this particular line that we were looking at. They really capture that iconic presence of Captain America, Black Widow, Iron Man. you got a Hulk. you got this awesome Thor, very, like, classic-looking. He's got traps for days. Uh-huh. Like, just the, the thickest, tastiest traps you could ever... You can try to get by. You could try to get by. But you'll get trapped. So 
That's we're a visual joke. Yeah, you are definitely pointing at various parts of your arm. Arms, parts that really do not exist on me, uh, <laughs> but they do on Thor. Yes. Uh, Hulk out your collection or at Thor, if ye be worthy, customize your Ultimate Avengers lineup. Go to sideshow.com slash assemble to begin assembling Earth's Mightiest Heroes today. There's a bunch of them. You can sort of buy them piece by piece, put them to make a big, cool, heroic diorama once you get them all because you're going to want them all, but you can still get them one by one. It's pretty cool. Up next, we've got Ms. Marvel number 31, and that is Jamie Farrelly's pick of the week. We're going to talk about this one a lot more on This Week in Marvel later this week, and is written by G. Willow Wilson with sections by Saladin Ahmed, Rainbow Rowell, San Minaj, art by Nico Leone for uh, a good chunk of the book, but other pockets by Gustave Duarte, Bob Quinn, Elmo Bondock, Colors Throughout by Ian Herring and VCs Joe Caramagna on the letters. is a big old celebratory issue for the 50th issue of Ms. Marvel. It's huge. It's a big spectaculoso. You know what? We're coming up on uh, episode 350 of This Week in Marvel. Wow. That's a big spectacular. Get ready for that in a couple weeks. I remember, uh, you know, I remember just like it was yesterday being on episode 300. Yeah. I believe that actually might have been my first episode. Really? Yes. First episode back since intern days. You've only almost a year? Wow. How yeah. did that happen? How did? Anyway, we get into it. And this this issue is a sleepover party. Kamala invites her three closest friends to have uh, snacks and talk and hang out and play video games and do all kinds of stuff. And then shenanigans happen. Life happens. Ms. Marvel's life happens uh we're gonna get into it but it's terrific this is what was nearly one of my picks but jamie chose it so she gets that one yeah you win again frevely <laughs> another one of your nearly picks of the week we were talking about it just before recording is multiple man number one and this is written by matt rosenberg with art by andy mcdonald colors by tamra bonvelan letters by travis lanham and a great cover a cover that i've been looking at for weeks by Marcos Martin. I love it so, so much. I've been loving the the early looks at the covers for this, uh, this limited series. It looks so great. This story ties in pretty nicely with characters that Matt has been writing in New Mutants. I honestly, I opened it up. I was like, oh, New Mutants issue this yeah. week. And I was like, wait a minute. Wait, what's happening? Oh, it's Multiple Man. I got so <laughs> confused. Yeah, it, uh, it works so well. We have um, the beautiful muscles of Mr. Guy himself. Um, first name strong, last name Guy. Uh, Guido Caracelli. <laughs> okay. Uh, you know, agree to disagree. But we also have Magic and a few other great little cameos in here that I really enjoy, really enjoyed to get this uh, Jamie Madrox story started. What's cool about this issue for me reading it, at least, maybe I'm just a dumb guy, but it was cool because as the reader, I felt kind of sucked into the confusion going on that is happening with Jamie and other Jamies and like future Jamies, past Jamies, um, getting them all mixed together. That is like one of the great joys of a multiple man story, I feel like, is getting to play with that and not just getting to play with that for the characters in the story, but getting to play with that for the reader uh, you know, yourself. It's 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 really, really fun element to add on top of everything, on top of this really great story that's going on. Yeah, it, it's confusing is, is the right word. And then it's intentionally confusing. Yeah. It's not like we're like, oh, bad storytelling, confusing. No, I'm pretty sure Matt has this all mapped out and figured out. Mm-hmm. And he's doing it in a way that is confusing the the team members there, the, all the X-Men, and it is intentionally pushing you and pulling you in different directions. And Beast sums it up really, really well in this. There's two Jamies and they're fighting and he's he's basically like it's stuff like that that makes everyone find you so annoying <laughs> so two of them fighting they're speaking in riddles they're confusing they're talking over each other and, and then it just spirals out of there like there's this scene in it was right around the executioner song it might have been in executioner song and there's a bunch of jamies and they're doing like a cha-cha dance together because they're just so friggin' annoying mm-hmm. they are the worst yeah there is a really great moment because Bishop, one of my favorite mutants around, uh, he pretty quickly has, like Beast, has some issues to to handle with Jamie, one of the Jamies. And there's a great panel where you just hear him first shout kind of from a different panel. We just hear his voice saying, Madrox. 
he comes walking in and he's just pointing at him. He just says, I'm going to kick your ass. <laughs> and then Madrox says, oh, right. I forgot about this, um, which is so perfect. That just gets to the heart of the fun going on here. The way I describe this issue as a whole is that things get thrown into a blender of time, characters, action, and intention, and then just all mixed up. And I feel like the fun of this series is going to be untangling all of that alongside Matt, alongside Jamie, Jamie Madrox. It's going to be a really weird, wild time. Also, a a little note, the solicits for Multiple Man have been delightful. Give them a quick goog or Bing search. Uh, Look them up because they've been so much fun. Assistant editor Chris Robinson has been working with Matt on those. They're like weird little riddles and jokes and all written in the same thing. It's a really fun way to play with that little format. For those of you who don't know what a solicit is, yeah. when, when we're talking about comic speak, every month before a book comes out, we put out a catalog called the Marvel Previews Catalog. It's what helps our comic retailers figure out what they're going to order for comic shops You know, when in the month that comes out. So good copy in there, mm-hmm. the, basically the preview that you read that tells you something, gives you a tease. But in a lot of cases, you know, a clever writer and editor will work together to just put out some some really fun bits that entice you to want to get them. Yeah, these have been super fun to read. But that's, you know, how, how's that for some the more you know comic book stuff going on right there? Yeah. Yay. Up next, we've got Old Man Hawkeye. Man, are we already on issue six? Wow. Yeah. Issue six. Halfway uh, done. I know. Written by Ethan Sachs. Art by Marco Coquetto. Colors by Andres Mosa. Letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. I saw Mr. Ethan Sachs last week. He was here. You're going to be doing something with him real soon, right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, Ethan has been uh, contributing some really, really wonderful creator commentaries to Marvel.com where he talks about the you know whenever a new issue of old man hawkeye comes out he goes and reviews and gives behind the scenes looks and little uh, explanations of what he was thinking and, and and things like that for the previous issue so right now on marvel.com you can go and look at ethan's creator commentary on issue number five of old man hawkeye actually when ethan was here visiting the office and when he saw me i recently got a haircut and he told me that you told him to make fun of me <laughs> <laughs> yes i did which was awesome how'd that go <laughs> oh it went great yeah. he gave me some solid burns it was nice Sweet. <laughs> um but clint is the worst getting back to the comic clint is the worst here he's just a turd who keeps making bad choices and endangering others old man hawkeye is the worst tucker Next time you sit down to do a commentary with Ethan, ask if he likes writing a Hawkeye who's a living fail video, please. Because <laughs> that is essentially what Clint is in this. Fortunately, crappy Clint makes for awesome comics. There's the the, the small touch of like this army of Venoms who are also uh, Jamie Madroxes. And that because they are dupes and they spread the symbiote across so many, it actually makes the symbiotes weaker. I thought that was a really neat storytelling touch. Very strong logic to that. And now from this issue, we know how the horrifying Venom creature in the original Old Man Logan story came to be. If you don't know what that is, go read the Old Man Logan story. There's a venomized thing in there and you'll see another issue, another example of Marco and Andres destroying people with their art. Just crushing the fire and particle effects throughout the book are so gorgeous there's a cinematic quality to the book the the shots the big moments it's just so rad you go from page to page and you know like venom screaming or kate bishop you know trying to save everyone flipping around shooting arrows them in a car just everything about it is tremendous Earlier when I spoke about how there were a few issues that felt very thematically similar, at least very similar in terms of the dynamic going on in the narratives, this is another one that popped up in my mind. This is Old Man Logan, number 42. It's written by Ed Brisson with art by Francesco Mana, colors by Carlos Lopez, and letters by Corey Petit. Because what's going down in this issue is, as we see on... Uh, the great cover by Mike Diodato Jr. and Carlos Lopez. We have Old Man Logan, we have Craven the Hunter, and we have Dinosaurs. Okay, they're in the Savage Land. Craven is after Old Man Logan. 
Logan is trying to get away from both Craven the Hunter slash Fight Back, also trying to get away from dinosaurs and crazy beasts that are found in the Savage Land, and also fight back against them. The beasts are also trying to eat Craven, and Craven, of course, is looking to put stuff on his mantle. All the while, it is a really great mixture of different things. And the big question that I feel like has been looming over Old Man Logan recently, and it's really interesting because, of course, we know stuff out in our world, in the real world. We know stuff about the return of Wolverine and things like that. But it's really interesting in, you know, recent issues of Old Man Logan and certainly in this one, there has been some really interesting seeds being dropped. I don't know what's coming, uh, what's happening with Old Man Logan about his regenerating factor, about about so much about what his future may or may not be. You know, it's such a big mystery in itself that comes along with the return of Wolverine. We need to find out what happens to old man Logan as well. And things are looking grim. He goes through a really tough time in this issue, but he is one of the most distinctly voiced uh, Marvel characters ever created. And he goes through it with that grimace, with that, uh, you know, kind of, you know, just bearing it and just going along, doing his own thing, trying to survive, trying to make it. Yeah. Best story with dinosaurs that came out in pop culture this week. Boom. That one right there. Right there. <laughs> uh, it also, uh, I love Craven the Hunter, but I especially love him in Squirrel Girl. Here, he is very craven, mm. if you will. Take the meaning of the word. He is hunting poor Logan, who is half blind. He, his arm is, one of his hands has been cut off and it's grown back and his claws are messed up. He is not, he's like 20% of the man he used to be. And he, Craven still can't win. He's mm. a sucker. <laughs> Screw that guy. Also, super creepy and weird how Logan is just like going around now with his severed hand with the claws in it. Just like, he's just this like grandpa wearing this bomber jacket, just like stroking this hand <laughs> in a plane. Like, oh, I just gotta get my hand back. Go the wasteland. What's up? And it's, Real weird. I love it. Uh, next book is Peter Parker's Spectacular Spider-Man number 306. And this is Peter, his sister, Teresa, and Jonah. They are back in the regular time. And uh-oh, the robots are winning. It's a bit of a somber issue here by writer Chip Zdarsky. Art by Adam Kubert and Juan Fagreri. Colors by Jason Keith and Andrew Crossley. Letters by Travis Lanham. I don't want to get into much of the story bits here because it's really like what happens in this is really pivotal for this storyline. I don't want to spoil it for you if you're reading this. There's just, it's a sad issue. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know, the heroes resigning to their fates. And it's, you know, Chip swerving a little bit yeah. from um, from his regular Peter Parker stuff. Yeah, there is some really exciting new action, though, on the way this week with The Century, number one. Now, you know the story behind The Century. This is this is going to be like one of the first things to talk about is that I've never read a Century book ever before. And... That was an audible gasp. I couldn't help it. That was literal. Also, it freaked me the f out this week when I realized Century is almost twenty years old. Do you do you remember his? Yes, very much. Early so, days. The Century was created in the year two thousand. Oh wow! Yes, and was revealed in the pages of Wizard magazine as a character that was created back in the day. I don't remember remember the exact creators that were attached to it. It was probably Stan because I think he was quoted in the article, Stanley. But they had designs, they had all the stuff, stories, and they shelved it, hmm. never used it. So the reveal was, oh my God, Marvel found these pages of this character that was never used. This this Silver Age amazing hero. And what's happening, you know, it was a lie. It was part of the whole uh, program mm -hmm. to sort of announce this. It is just such a really smart way to do it, too. It got people like... It works perfectly as Who well. the heck is the Sentry? Because, yeah. you know, they, they gave him the, the, the golden guardian of good. His name is Bob Reynolds. He's, he had sidekicks. It, the costume, everything about him screamed Silver Age. And then mm -hmm. they took it into this postmodern creepy story. Uh, Paul Jenkins and Jay Lee did the original Sentry limited series, part of the Marvel Knights thing. And it, it told the story of Bob Reynolds, who was the greatest hero in the Marvel Universe. And when he becomes the greatest hero, he unleashes the most devastating villain that could destroy the universe. So with the Sentry comes the Void. And in order to stop the Void, Bob chose to stop being the Sentry. There's mechanics and he made everyone forget, like... All these different things. And that's why he had been gone for so long. 
in the year 2000 when they did 2000 2001 when they did this limited series the original century series it was like the Fantastic Four forgot about him. The Avengers forgot about him. He had this really close connection with the Hulk, which was this heartbreaking, great storyline. He forgot about him. He had this big sentry tower on top of Avengers Tower that had disappeared, like all these cool things. And so that was just great sort of this point for the story. There's a great series called The Age of the Century from 2009 that's super meta and postmodern as well. And that tells a lot of the quote-unquote classic century stories. But the century is a really fascinating character. And again, I am blown away by this character almost being 20 years old at this point. Right. And because and, he, he still feels new to me. That, yeah. That's it. That's yeah, all I yeah. got. This issue is written by Jeff Lemire with art by Kim Jacinto, colors by Rain Barreto, and letters by Travis Lanham. Aside from asking, wanting to ask you about the century and your history with the century, my first note here was Kim Jacinto is bringing it. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, there is some great looking art in here. It is so incredible. And aside from that, what I really like that something you just touched on is the, the the basic knowledge that that one has about the century is the century in the void. But, you know, that 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 paints the picture of a kind of dual personality. But what I found was so fascinating that. Jeff Lemire got to the heart of in a really interesting way here, just in this very first issue, was it's kind of more like a tri-personality because I feel like there's the Sentry, there's the Void, but there's also Bob, you know, and he is him trying to stave off, of course, the incredible power, but the incredible evil that comes with his, uh, you know, his his alternate personality, you know, and, and, and alternate life and everything as a century was a really interesting discussion that goes down in this book. Just, we get awesome looking action in here, but we also get this latent little fear and that is definitely present from the very, very start. And it feels very elemental to the core of, of this character. And it's going to be really, really fun to keep reading. Yeah. I know, um, editor in chief CB Sabolsky, very excited about this book, about the scripts that he's been getting in and, and reading it. And it's, it's really cool psychological stuff. Yeah. Uh, and it, you know, doing something a little bit different with the century than we've seen before. Yeah. I'm digging the heck out of it. Also digging the heck out of star Wars, Dr. Afra number 21 written by Cy Sperrier, art by Kev Walker, Mark Deering, Java Tartaglia and Joe Caramagna. The, Afra Tolvin romance that has been going on these last couple of issues maybe my favorite love story in comics right now. Mm-hmm. It is so good. It's funny, quirky, full of doom. Little glances, you know. Little ooh, hey, I'm looking at you. Mm-hmm. Oh, you looking at me? <laughs> Character quirks, rescues, revelations, and all of that is just in this issue. On top of all the other stuff that's going on, there's two pages with Tolvin and Afra in here. They're separated by security glass, and it's just. Gorgeous work by Kev and and the art team. There's just this dynamic chemistry. The way they draw them thinking about each other, looking at each other, getting frustrated with each other, uh, sort of teasing each other. It's so good. That is what like that's the through line for this and for for me with this book. Uh, yeah, Afra's trying to escape the prison. She's trying not to get killed. Sanastaros is here. There's all kinds of fun stuff. But the two of them, Afra and Tolvin, I am here for it every month. Another great Star Wars story is on the way this week with Star Wars Lando Double or Nothing number two. It's written by Rodney Barnes with art by Paolo Villanelli, colors by Andres Mosa, and letters by Joe Caramagna. This is a great little prequel story to Solo, a Star Wars story, the film. We get young Lando. We have L337, a.k.a. L3. We have another interesting character that we didn't see in the film, but we're getting to know really well in a really cool way here, this Christus character. But what really strikes me about this issue, and as I'm starting to piece together where Rodney is taking this limited series as a whole, it it got me thinking about who who Lando Calrissian is kind of what he has stood for for decades now in terms of, you know, he's this suave guy. He's this, you know, he's the administrator of cloud city. He is this, you know, he seems like a guy who's got it all together and he's very, you know, nothing really phases him. He's very smooth all in the exterior, but in a very unique way, he is kind of constantly trying to not be at the mercy of others. He's constantly kind of on the run. He's constantly a little bit behind, not in terms, not mentally, but in terms of he's behind the eight ball. He's up against the wall and he's being forced to respond to outside forces 
stuff that he'd rather just not deal with. It made me, you know, kind of just get lost in thought and musing about what he shares in common with Han Solo, how he differs from Han Solo, because they they do they do have some things in common, but also some very very distinct differences. Not just obviously in terms of the way they talk, who they interact with, etc., but in terms of how they interact with the world and how they approach the world. And I feel like Roddy Barnes just gets it. He gets Lando to the core, and he takes that side of things, something that we see, you know, most clearly with the events of The Empire Strikes Back. And he puts this character in this limited series in situations where he's forced to respond to things in a similar way, where he's kind of up against it. He doesn't really want to be here. He's kind of forced to be here for various reasons. And that's where the fun all starts, uh, because not only does he have to deal with it, but we get to read him dealing with it in the classic Lando voice, and it makes everything great. Yeah. Sentry wears a cape. Yes. Lando Ooh. wears capes. Yeah. The best capes this week, though, are in the pages of Thor, number two, just the capiest, best-looking book around. This book is written by Jason Aaron, art by Mike Del Mundo, letters and production by Joe Sabino, and it is one of my picks of the week. Dang it. It is so good. Man, it's got my favorite cover of the week. Look at this. Just look at this. You've got the Cape crew, uh, the Odinson boys, because it's multiple Odinson brothers. Thor, Loki, Balder, and Tyr. Tyr, the one that I had to even remember, was an Odinson. And he's here. You got Thori. You got Tooth Grinder. And uh, there's like gnarly jeeps and and trains that talk and uh, flying boats action aplenty man this book is so friggin good i can't talk about it more here i'm going to save all my my tasty bits for this week of marvel tucker what did you think i it was just like it's road thorier is what it is Ooh, uh, real good. really what it was is just like as jason aaron has been kicking off new series recently he has of course thor he has avengers he's just getting into these stories in new and interesting ways and he's just continuing to surprise me with like what I thought I knew about Jason Aaron and the way Jason Aaron writes. And then he just comes up with something completely new, different and exciting. And that was like never exemplified better than this issue. It was so fun. I want him to just write a romance book yeah. with zero fighting. <laughs> right. Just like real like lovey-dovey romance because he'll write the hell out of it. Yes, he'll, of course. He'll break our hearts. Yeah, it's true. I mean, we've seen him do the heartbreak before, but this issue was just metal. And it was awesome. Heck yeah. More incredible metal, just so wicked awesome action in another one of Ryan's picks of the week with Venom number three. That's three rings of the bell for the third issue of this great series. It's written by Dangerous Donny Cates with pencils by Ryan Stegman, inks by J.P. Meyer, colors by Frank Martin, and letters by Clayton Cowles. This is something that, you know, deserves so much, so much attention. It's so much fun. Venom Dragon, Miles and Eddie dealing with each other. There's so much going on. I'll leave it to you and Jamie to break down more on This Week in Marvel, but I am enjoying it right there with you so much. This is, as we've said so many times, this is going to continue to grow into the definitive Venom story. And man, that is not just just lip service. It is earning it with every single issue. It is so good. Uh, well, I'm going to talk about it more on This Week in Marvel, but it has one of my favorite lines of the week. Uh, it is a caption, Eddie's caption, when he sees this symbiote dragon exploding fire all over. And it's like crazy splash page. One of the captions says, a thousand voices like jet engines wailing and screaming in horror. It's just like, yeah. this book, yeah. so good. So good. All right. Last book of the week is X-Men number 30. This is the sort of like an epilogue to X-Men Blue number 30. And this is kind of like the epilogue to Colin Bunn's Poison Saga. It is written by Colin, but art by Nathan Stockman, colors by Matt Mila, letters by Joe Caramagna. And um, the poisons are down to one last survivor, and his name is Tucker Marcus. Oh, boy. And he is a frightening individual. And no. I, I have entered Indiana Jones's body, and now he's crawling around on the floor of Club Obi-Wan looking for the antidote to get rid of me. Okay. 
Thank you. Cool. Uh, it is Jimmy Hudson. <laughs> and uh, my favorite part of this book is the pages long fight sequence between Poison Jimmy and Dokken. It is just, it's brutal. Uh, Nathan Stockman, I adore him as a person, as an artist. And he draws such fun, like he can draw such fun cartoony, but when he like gets into the violent, like gnarly, gory stuff, which happens here, it's big and fun, blood and claws and swords and tentacles and spikes and tongues and ice and x-men 30 we are rolling along we also have this week two true believers book one dollar issues first one is ant-man and hawkeye avengers assemble as well as ant-man presents iron man the ghost and the machine collections on sale this week include amazing spider-man family business ant-man giant man growing pains avengers no surrender in hardcover Deadpool by Posehn and Duggan, The Complete Collection, Volume 3, Fantastic Four, Epic Collection, The New Fantastic Four, Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, Volume 5, Fantastic Three, Night Mask, New Universe, Secret Empire, and folks, here it is, Thanos Wins by Donnie Cates, one of my favorite little arcs, little stories in recent months, and I know a lot of people agree, cannot wait for that collection. That's big time. It's Thanos wins by Donny Cates is the title of it's, the collection. It's there. I'm not. That's not that's me editorializing. Paper. It yeah. says it in text in ink. Thanos wins by Donny Cates. Also, shouts to Jeff Shaw and the other amazing oh, yeah. writers because uh, there's a couple of writers on the annual. I believe the annual is in that mm-hmm, issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, a bunch of other artists. A co- like so many people went into that one. It's not just Donny. <laughs> just big time and everybody else. I uh, think they're taking advantage of the fact that like they know. I'm a Donnie head, and so I think they were just trying to, like, you know, you think they lead they, me into it. They titled the collection <laughs> with his name in it for you? Just for just me for to you? say on this podcast. On the Marvel app this week, a bunch of issues. Uh, if you don't pick up the Night Mask collection, you can check out. We've just added those issues 1 through 12 of the original New Universe Night Mask series to the Marvel store, plus a bunch of other stuff. On uh, the digital collections front, the books that Tucker talked about, plus... Captain America, First Vengeance, Fantastic Four, The Overthrow of Doom, and a bunch more. Freshly digitized books now on Marvel Unlimited. We've got Marvel 2-in-1, first issue there, so if you have not read that, you can check it out. You can also get into Peter Parker, The Spectacular Spider-Man, which has been so, so good. We're, we're in there with Chip's run, uh, starting with number 298 there. There's some huge smattering of Silver Surfer, which is my, I don't know, pick. it's not my pick of the week. What's a... My, my grand slam of the week mm. <laughs> for our baseball theme section of the show. Uh, Silver Surfer issues 39 through 59 and the annual from uh, number three. So this was right before and right during the Infinity Gauntlet right. saga. So this is like my juiciest, favoritest Silver Surfer stuff in the original Infinity Gauntlet storyline. Issue four is the heroes versus Thanos on Thanos' little planet. And it's brutal. Like, he puts a cube around Cyclops' head, suffocating Cyclops. And he puts c- the Astro Place cube on Cyclops' head? <laughs> yep. That's a New York joke that <laughs> very few people will get. Uh, and Captain America is, like, beating the cube with his shield, trying to break it oh, up. Wow. It's hard. The thing he does to Submariner and She-Hulk is horrifying. But... In one of the issues, it might be 54 of Silver Surfer, there's an alternate take of this battle. And I haven't read it in years, but I remember being more upset by it than the original Infinity Gauntlet. Check it out. Really, really good stuff. There's been, oh, X-Men Grand Design is also on. What a month. What a week for Marvel Unlimited. Definitely check all this stuff out. Please subscribe if you are not already on it. That's going to wrap it up for... uh, for Marvel's Apollos this week. Yeah, yeah. check us out. Uh, check out our little video version. We're going to be jumping in to do that very soon. And uh, yeah, and then tune into This Week in Marvel for more. Bye. Bye. I'm Ryan. And I'm Tucker. This is Marvel. Your universe. We should have said bye after. <laughs> yeah.